0: It is wonderful to be with you again after a very long time off of podcasting. It has been a few months since I've been able to get down here into my podcasting area and to record, and I could not be more thrilled to be back. As we start again on the Seeking Pearls podcast, I am so excited because our summer series Here at Seeking Pearls is going to be the Apostle Paul. We are going to go on a journey that will probably last all summer through the Apostle Paul's journeys, through the Book of Acts, through some of his letters as they intertwine into the Book of Acts, into his journey towards Rome and his imprisonment. And we're just going to study the Apostle Paul, his journeys, his letters, and Ultimately, his Jesus. Because, of course, the whole goal of studying the Apostle Paul is to learn about this Jesus who turned his life upside down and who he proclaimed throughout the entire known Roman Empire and that he ultimately went to the death for. This Jesus that he loved so much, that he knew so well. And who he reveals to us through the letters that he writes as he sends letters to churches after he plants churches in various cities and makes disciples in various cities and then sends them letters, he teaches us about the Jesus that he got to know and love so dearly. So, of course, Jesus is the ultimate goal as we study the Apostle Paul. I myself have become kind of obsessed with the Apostle Paul. My kids make fun of me because I will frequently order a new book on the Apostle Paul. I've read several biographies about him, and I just am very fascinated by his life and his passion and his mission and his undying love for Jesus that he just kept going and going and going and going and enduring more suffering than I will ever know and that I will ever be able to comprehend enduring that suffering with joy and perseverance and and, and the whole time just with a, this yearning heart to know Jesus more i find him utterly fascinating and and just like can't learn enough And so I'm very excited to go on this journey with you this summer. I will say, however, though, that I am intimidated because I listen to podcasters who are way, way smarter than me, who have PhDs from seminaries, who have written like doctrinal theses on the Apostle Paul and uh, or on one of his letters or on one aspect of his life and I am not that. (laughs) So let me just say again, like as a word of honesty, that I am Bible study trained. I am not seminary trained. I have not written any theses on the Apostle Paul. I did actually, I will say that I did write my senior thesis statement in college (laughs) for my undergrad religion degree. I did write that on Paul's view of sanctification. So I did write several papers in college on the Apostle Paul, but not at seminary. And and I have no PhDs. I don't even have a master's degree. Uh, I am Bible study trained through and through. And so I just want to say that right up front, I read books and I study the Bible. And that's where everything I have to offer comes from. There are hundreds and thousands of people who are more knowledgeable than I am. Um, so I just give you that as a word of warning. But, um, but I do love the Bible and I do love to study the Apostle Paul and how he points us to Jesus. I want to share with you as we begin um, something that I found very fascinating in one of the biographies I read, this one by Adam Hamilton, who's a little bit more liberal than most of the other writers I read. He's a wonderful writer, and I enjoy his writing very much. He says this, It could be reasonably, it could reasonably be, be argued that no other human, apart from Jesus himself, has had a greater impact on the world than Paul of Tarsus. His theological reflections on the meaning of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have had a profound impact upon every branch of the Christian faith. His missionary journeys took the gospel across the Roman world. He mentored many second-generation Christian leaders. Thirteen of the New Testament's 27 books are attributed to him, and one-half of the Acts of the Apostles is devoted to telling his story. Today, one-third of the world's population look to his writings for inspiration, spiritual direction, and ethical guidance, more than follow the teachings of Muhammad, the Buddha, and Confucius combined. He is not, Adam Hamilton who wrote that, is not the only uh, biographer that I have read on the Apostle Paul who have called him, in fact, they all have, have referred to him as apart from Jesus the The person in humanity who's had the single greatest impact in the world than Jesus himself. Um. So he, why not study the Apostle Paul, right? Like, uh, I just, I'm so excited to dive into this study about him. So th- this podcast, this episode is going to look at who Paul was, B.C. So I'm going to call it Paul B.C., Paul before Christ, um, not in the years BC because Paul was probably born in 1 AD, but Paul himself BC before Christ. Who was he before he met Christ? So in this episode, we aren't going to look at any of his te- te- teachings of Jesus. We are going to look at who he was before he knew Jesus. And then in the next episode, we will focus specifically on on his conversion when Jesus met him and transformed his life. Then we will spend an episode on the silent years. Paul went into silent years after he became a Christian, after Jesus met him and turned his life upside down. Paul retreated and had years of silence where he literally just spent time learning from Jesus about Jesus. And he speaks only a little bit of that in the Bible. So we don't have a ton of text to learn what those silent years looked like, but we have some. And so we are going to look at that for an episode. And then probably on episode four, we will get into his journeys. He took three primary missionary journeys, and then his last journey was to Rome. The, his last journey that we have written down, that we know of for certain, was to Rome, where he went to to house prison for two years. That's all recorded in the book of Acts. So that will take up the bulk of our summer going through all those journeys and his shipwreck and his trip to Rome intertwined into those he was writing letters to churches he had already planted and so we will look we're not going to look in depth and go through any of the letters necessarily but we will see highlights from those letters and how they fit into the book of Acts and his journeys And, um, and then we will look at the letters he wrote while he was in prison. Again, we're not going to go in depth into those letters, but we will get an overview of those letters. One of the letters he wrote from prison was Colossians, and we did do a deep dive into that letter verse by verse from January to March of this year, and that is on the podcast. So you can, you can find that in the Seeking Pearls podcast. I think that there were seven episodes as we went through the book of Colossians. But um, that will be the pattern that we go on through this summer. And then we will end our journey about Paul's life with what we know, what scholars have put together as the most likely possibilities about the end of Paul's life. He was beheaded by Nero in about AD 67. So that is how we will end our podcast series. Two primary scripture verses are going to be kind of our thesis as we go through Paul's journey. I couldn't narrow it down to one. I had to choose two. (laughs) Um, And those are going to be Acts 20, verse 24, and Philippians 3, verse 24. 10, verses 10 and 11. So if I had to summarize what I believe were Paul's thesis statements for his life and his ministry, these would be the two verses that I just would absolutely fall on as like the pinpoint of this is this is the purpose of Paul's life. And so um, Acts 20 verse 24 says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I get goosebumps all over my body when I read that, when I read that scripture. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul never, ever forgot where he came from, which is what we're going to look at today. Where did he come from? Who was he? B.C. He never forgot. And it is so important as we read the letters of Paul and discover who he was and how Jesus changed his life. It is so important that we keep in mind that he never forgot where he came from. His whole life and his whole ministry, he knew that Jesus had saved him from the pit of hell, and and he he just keeps that in front of him all the time. And so his only aim is to minister to that grace, that grace that saved him. He wants the whole world to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 10, now this is, I just love this so much because He is writing Philippians from Rome in prison. He doesn't know in the book of Philippians, it's clear that he knows that there's going to be a verdict coming soon about whether or not he's going to live or die at this point, whether or not he will be killed for his faith in Christ now, or if it's going to come at a later time. He doesn't know, but he knows a verdict is coming soon. And... He still says this in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He still wants to know Christ. That's what gets me in this scripture. I mean, there's so many other scriptures I could have chosen for Paul's thesis, like for, to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I mean, that also would be one of Paul's theses from Philippians 121. But this one, I just, I find astounding because he has walked more closely with Jesus than anybody. He has suffered more for Jesus than anybody. And yet he says, I want to know Christ. At this point, when he writes Philippians, he's been, he has known Jesus for probably about 30 years by the time he writes Philippians, maybe a little less than 30 years. And he's walked so, so, so closely with Jesus And yet he can still say, I want to know Christ. Like, there's so much more he wants to know about Jesus. And that just spurs me on. Like, I want to know Christ. Like, if the Apostle Paul is still learning about Jesus, there's so much more for me to still know about Jesus and for that to be my, the ultimate cry of my heart. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. It's just, it's his heart cry. It's his heart cry. I want to know Christ. And so that's what we lay before us as our, as our points to look toward. As we go on this journey with the Apostle Paul. My prayer for us is that. Our heart cry would become the same as Paul's, that we would want to know Christ, and that as we get to know the Apostle Paul, that we would ultimately get to know his Jesus, that we would learn who his Jesus is. That is my prayer for our time here together. All right, so with that, we are going to dive into who was Paul B.C. before Christ Paul is from a city called Tarsus. Tarsus is in Cilicia. And so if you're looking at a map, which I would encourage you to do, find a map. Just Google it. Just Google like uh, Israel of the Bible or Google the Apostle Paul map. Just you can put that into a search engine and it will give you, you'll probably get a, a map of all his journeys, or you can put in Apostle Paul's journeys either way. But you're going to see up north of Israel, you're going to see what is now present day Turkey. And the region of Cilicia is in the southeast region of present day Turkey. And it's up against the Taurus Mountains and um, to the south of Tarsus. Is the Mediterranean Sea. So that is where Paul is from. He was raised, we know by different things he said in different letters. He was raised by Jewish family who were Pharisees. So they were trained well in Judaism. They were of the Jewish class of lawyers, and they adhered very closely to the Old Testament law. They taught the Old Testament law, they trained others in the Old Testament law, and, uh, and Paul was raised in that environment. Um, probably when he was about age 13, he would have gone to Jerusalem and we know from his testimonies and different things he says in the book of Acts and in his letters, we know that he was trained under one of the very famous and prominent Jewish, uh, Pharisees and rabbis, a man named Gamaliel. So he was trained under, uh, one of the most prestigious, Pharisees that he you could have been trained by as a Jewish boy or young man. And uh, so that leader was named Gamaliel. We do meet him personally. We have an encounter with him in the book of Acts, chapter 5. So here's where it gets a little bit iffy. So like the age of the Apostle Paul when he became a Christian, when When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, which is in Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at that next week, Um, the age at which he was when that occurred, people have different views. But I'm going to give you what I have found to be the most compelling, I think, is that he actually was a very similar age to, to Jesus himself, probably born around 1 AD. And so this view was spelled out most closely by a biographer named John Pollock, who wrote um, the Apostle: A Life of Paul, which I have read twice now. It's so good. It's so wonderful. And so this is he. He laid this out the most clearly, and I find it the most compelling. Uh, and so I'll just give you kind of his rundown, as he's done a ton of research, which all these biographers did. But he um, he says that more than likely the Apostle Paul. Or, or young Saul. He was born as a, as a, his Jewish name was Saul, but his parents had Roman citizenship as well. And so that is why we know that they were wealthy because citizens of Cilicia did not have Roman citizenship unless they had purchased it for a quite high price. And so we know that he came from a wealthy family. Or that somewhere back in his family line there were like somewhere in his ancestry there was a, a close connection with the Roman Emperor. And so they were of they were a prestigious family. We know that. A, a Jewish prestigious family. And anyway, so he was, because he was Jewish, he had a Jewish name, Saul, named after King Saul, Israel's first king, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. And we find out later that Paul is also from the tribe of Benjamin. So his Jewish name is Saul. But as a Roman citizen, every Roman citizen would have also had a Greek name or a Roman name. And his was Paulus. We call him Paul. So anyway, John Pollock Has a great case to say he probably we know that he went to Jerusalem to learn under Gamaliel, but he probably wasn't still in Jerusalem during the years of Jesus's ministry, which would have been approximately in the late 20s to 30 AD. And so, what probably happened, and the reason that he presents that, and I think it's so compelling, is because if, if Young Saul, we'll call him Saul at this time because he was definitely living in the Jewish world, being trained as a Pharisee, so he would have gone by Saul. It wasn't until he started doing a lot of work in the Greek speaking world in the throughout the Roman Empire that we see in the book of Acts he starts to go by Paul. So at this point he's Saul. And uh, if he had been in Jerusalem while Jesus was turning over tables in the temple and, while Jesus was like coming to the festivals every year when he would come down from Galilee into Jerusalem for the different festivals and doing preaching, if, if Saul had been in the crowd of Pharisees who were questioning Jesus and challenging Jesus, it just seems very likely that in letters of Paul, Paul would have referred back to those times of when he spoke with Jesus But there's nothing like that. There's no indication in the scriptures to give us an idea that they were in Jerusalem at the same time. And so what this biographer says and many others say that he probably learned under Gamaliel from age 13 until his early 20s and then went back home to Tarsus started engaging in his father's tent making business because we know he was a tent maker and and then you know preaching in the synagogues on on the sabbath and then lived his 20s probably in Tarsus where he was from. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, as he starts to hear this uproar about this Messiah who said he had come and who they killed and who there's a a rumor going around that he's been raised again and as all Jerusalem is like in an uproar about this, probably as a very strict Pharisee, came back to Jerusalem to to deal with all of this uproar that's happening about this, these rumors about a Messiah who was raised from the dead and, and came back to Jerusalem at that time. I find that very compelling. And so, uh, but there are different people who say he's younger and he was in Jerusalem still learning under Gamma Meal Gamaliel when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and and probably would have encountered Jesus at all these different times. I don't find that as compelling. One thing, though, that would be true is while he was in Jerusalem from like ages 13 to 20 ish, getting his training, Jesus would have been very similar age living up north in Nazareth um, in the region of Galilee. And Jesus, though, as a young man, was certainly also coming to Jerusalem every year, three times a year for festivals, specifically the Passover, and they would have been in Jerusalem at the same times prior to Jesus starting his ministry. And even that alone, I find fascinating that they would have probably been at the temple at the same time, gone to synagogue at the same time. And uh, I find that fascinating. But Jesus was not yet in public ministry. And Saul was still in his learning and schooling for Pharisee uh, to become a Pharisee. And so their paths would not have come together at that time necessarily, but they may have been in the city at the same time. Almost for sure they would have been in the city at the same time because Jews went to Jerusalem for festivals three times a year. So that is that is pretty much everything we know about Saul as a young man. We know that he is in Jerusalem by the time the first martyr for the Christian faith whose name is Stephen, by the time he gets killed. Saul is already there. He has probably been at the trials. In fact, I'm going to share with you something that happened before Stephen is killed. We have uh, Peter and John and the apostles. We have them under trial. And Saul's leader, named Gamaliel, is... Is actually the one who keeps the apostles from being killed, so the apostles are brought in and they're questioned before the San- Sanhedrin, which is like the supreme court for the, the the ruling body of the Jews of the Jews in Jerusalem, and um, the Sanhedrin. Paul wasn't yet part of the Sanhedrin. But he was a young lawyer, a Pharisee, probably working his way up to become part of the Sanhedrin. Now, Jesus saved him and converted him before he ever became part of the Sanhedrin. So he was never part of the ruling body of the Jews. But he would have been probably in the court as a, at the same time as a young lawyer studying up to become part of the Sanhedrin. So the apostles had been uh, persecuted and thrown in prison for their, for preaching the name of Jesus. And, and they are released from prison by an angel. This is in Acts chapter five. So they are released from prison by an angel. And, and it's just causes this uproar because the prison gates are still locked, but the apostles are out, out back Uh, in the city preaching. And it says, someone came back to the Sanhedrin and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, this man meaning Jesus, because it was the high priest who put Jesus Jesus to death. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to a repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, "'stood up in the Sanhedrin "'and offered that the men be put outside for a little while. "'Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, "'Men of Israel, consider carefully "'what you intend to do to these men. "'Some time ago Thudius appeared, "'claiming to be somebody, "'and about 400 men rallied to him. "'He was killed and all his followers were dispersed "'and it came to nothing.' After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and flogged them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. All right, so the reason I shared that is we have not yet been introduced into Saul or Paul, but the biographers that I've read make a case that he almost certainly was here at this hearing of the Sanhedrin as a young lawyer. And his own teacher, Gamaliel, who he was trained under in like becoming a Pharisee, Gamaliel stands up and says, do not fight against these apostles who are preaching the name of Jesus. Because if what they're doing is an act of God, you are just going to find yourselves fighting against God himself. But is if it is of human origin, if they're just making this up, it's going to go away. It will fizzle out. Just don't mess with it. And what's so fascinating is that Saul himself, having heard this, does not yield to Gamaliel's advice. He fights very hard against those who, who are preaching the name of Jesus in these early days. So we're at about two years approximately from the time that Jesus died and was resurrected. And uh, the, uh, the killing of Stephen comes in chapter 7. I was just reading out of chapter 5 from Acts. The killing of Stephen comes very shortly after this. And Stephen is preaching the gospel and he comes to court under the Sanhedrin. He's arrested and he is giving a speech to the Sanhedrin and he goes way, way back to Abraham about how God called the Jewish people. He goes through Abraham and he goes through Joseph and he goes through Moses and uh, the giving Moses the law and And then he just goes into that God sent David. And then through David, God sent the Messiah, Jesus, but you killed him. So he's talking to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests. And he gets really fired up and he's like, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And the Sanhedrin gets furious. And so I'm going to start reading at the end of Stephen's speech to the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And we know at this time for certain that Saul is there hearing all of this because we we meet him finally in this passage. So I'm going to start reading at chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul." While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Saul was there. He heard the entire sermon of Stephen going way back in the Old Testament to Abraham. Stephen, just in a genius way, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Weaves together the entire history of Israel and how God sent Jesus through the line of David to the to be the savior of the Jews and the savior of the whole world. But the but you crucified him, and they get so angry. Well, specifically because they know they crucified him, but they get so angry at the fact that God raised him from the dead because that's blasphemy. That is claiming that, very clearly, that's a claim that Jesus was God, and in the Jewish ears, that would be blasphemy. And so they are extremely angry, and they pull Stephen out. They throw him over um, where they they did stoning, so they drop him down over this stone-like gate kind of or a stone wall many many feet to another to a big stone ground where often they would die just on impact there but then if they don't die on impact they throw huge stone right on his chest and that stone should kill a person that first stone should kill a person but if it doesn't then they continue to pummel him until he is, de- is dead is how they did stonings and so that is occurring, and those who are stoning him, the witnesses against him, have Saul holding their robes. you know, as they're picking up these huge stones, uh they take off their outer robe more than likely and and Saul is holding their robes um, or they throw them at his feet. He's guarding their robes while they are killing Stephen. And Saul approves of this, and then he gets furious, furious, and he is enraged, and he starts to ravage the church. And that is where we are left off. But the next verse, after he says that Saul is going from house to house, dragging men and women, putting them in prison, the very next verse Chapter 8, verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered out of Jerusalem preached the word wherever they went. So despite this incredible persecution that has sprung up, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus have been scattered. Well, the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but that all the other disciples who have come to Christ in the last two years, which is thousands, they get scattered, and they scatter throughout the Roman Empire. And everywhere they go, they are preaching about Jesus. This is not a movement of mankind. This is a movement of God, and it will not be stopped. But, the, but Saul, at this point, is trying to stop it. Saul and the chief priests and many other people who are very against it are trying to stop it. We learn, though, because it's two thousand years later, and this movement of Jesus has not yet been stopped. We learn very quickly that it cannot be stopped because it is from God; it is a movement of God. All right, so we're going to get a few words from Paul's own mouth about who he was prior to meeting Jesus. So later in the book of Acts, when Paul's in uh, under trial. Both when he's under trial in Jerusalem and also when he is under trial under King Agrippa before he sails to Rome, we get some speeches from him and he is going to share with us his own story. We get some background, but from his own mouth, we get some background about who he is. And I'd like to share that with you. So from Acts 22, he is in. Jerusalem. He is asking to speak to the people as he's arrested. So he wants to speak to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And he speaks to them in Aramaic in their own language. This is about 55 AD. So this is about 20 years at least after the stoning of Stephen. Paul has been traveling and doing ministry work, although part of those years were also silent years. Um, Many of those years, he was working in the Antioch church before he started traveling. But for several years, he's also been doing his journeys and preaching about Jesus and uh, planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. But now he's back in Jerusalem. He has been arrested and he is speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters in their own language, letting them know who he is. Okay. The speeches are quite long, but I'm just want to share with you the part where he tells us about his past. So in uh, chapter 22 of Acts, starting at verse two, he says, when they heard him speak in Aramaic, their own language, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, I brought up in this city, I studied under Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished all right so from there he's going to go into what happened when he was on his way to Damascus which we will get into next week that is when he uh that is when he comes to Christ Jesus reveals himself on the road to Damascus so he's giving us this background though of who he was he does the same thing uh, the next time, this is actually two years later. He's under. He's now speaking to King Agrippa, and he's going to give a, another explanation as as to who he is and what his past is. And so, I'd like to share that with you as well. He says to King Agrippa. With persecuting them, that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. This man was vicious. He was a vicious man who tried to force them to blaspheme. How do you think he did that? By flogging them. They would flog believers in Jesus the same way that Jesus was flogged, ripping the skin off their back with like the claws at the end of the whip until they would deny Jesus. If they did deny Jesus, they would stop flogging them. If they didn't deny Jesus, they would do it up to 39 times because 40 was a death sentence and the Jewish people were not allowed to carry out death sentences, but often they would die anyway, even with less than 30, or I mean with less than 40 because of uh, the loss of blood. So we learn in Paul's letters actually that he also uh, had, he had received floggings many, many times during the years that he was traveling and doing his ministry journeys. Uh, But before he ever received a flogging himself, he did it to many other people trying to get them to deny Jesus. He was a vicious man. It's interesting that he uses the phrase, I hunted them down. I was so obsessed with persecuting Christians that I hunted them down in foreign cities. We can just see the anger and the hatred inside of this man before he came to Christ. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul shares actually like next week and the following week when we talk about his uh, conversion and his silent years, we are going to glean quite a bit from what he writes to the Galatians. We get some good pieces of the puzzle there. But he I want to share what he says about himself prior to meeting Christ in his letter to the Galatians. He says this, "For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age." Among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So he was advancing in Judaism. He was on his way to become part of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was climbing the ladder, working on getting there, trying to destroy the church, the Christians. In his letter to the Philippians, he gives us another little piece of the puzzle about the pride that his background carried. In the in the Jewish world, his background was one of a place of prestige, like I mentioned earlier. He says this to the Philippians, "If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin." a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He did everything to a T. He was gaining in Judaism beyond many of people his own age. That's what he said. If there was anybody who could brag about how well they were doing in regards to being the best Jew possible, it was Saul before he met Jesus. He's going to go on to say, however, in that same letter to the Philippians, that all this stuff that he used to consider to be gain, he now considers it nothing. It's nothing compared to knowing Christ. Uh, But at the time, he was zealous and he was hateful hateful of the church. And he did it out of a place of just misunderstanding, misunderstanding, and thinking that he was being zealous for God when really he was trying to kill the movement that God was working in the world through Jesus. One thing that I want us to remember is that we are looking at who Paul was before Christ. And that's so important for all of us. This is such important information because all of us were someone else before we met Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He writes this beautiful, well-known phrase that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And he can write that with confidence because it's true of himself, The old Paul, when he met Jesus, the old Saul who hated Jesus, who hated the gospel, who hated this message of reconciliation, this message of grace, message of resurrection. He hated all of that. But when he met Christ, that old person was gone and the new had come. Jesus made him new and he can write that with confidence. He also says to the fir- to the Corinthians in fir- in his first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's writing about people who are living in their sin who are embracing their sin and he says these people cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. You were people who were living in sin and not just living in sin unknowingly, but embracing your sin, hanging on to your sin. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is what some of you were. That is what Paul was. He was somebody who was living in sin and hanging on to his sin for dear life, ravaging the church every single day. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Jesus. As we close our time of looking at Paul B.C., I want to share one more scripture with you where he talks about what he used to be. And this is just, So beautiful. So beautiful. He, this is in one of his very last letters that he is going to write. It's in 1 Timothy. His last letter is 2 Timothy. And he is writing to Timothy who, we are going to meet Timothy on our journeys this summer. Uh, Timothy becomes to Paul what he calls his son in the faith. His his dearest person in his life. Many of the biographies that I've read have said that they believe that Timothy is the dearest, closest person to Paul in Paul's whole life. And, uh, and this is what he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 to 16. He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Friends, I want us to take that to to heart very deeply that he says that he wants to be an example, that God is using him as an example for those who would believe in him, that there is no one who is too out of reach for Jesus. He says that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. So that Christ Jesus can display his immense patience, his immense patience. You are not out of reach for Jesus. You are not too bad of a sinner for Jesus. You are not beyond the grace of Jesus. Nothing you've ever done, let me say that again, nothing you have ever done is beyond the grace of Jesus. Jesus is going to display for us through the life of Paul, his immense patience for all of us who would put our trust in Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on this journey with me. I hope you stay on this journey with me throughout the entire summer as we journey with the Apostle Paul, his journeys, his letters, his Jesus. Have a great day. Bye.